0: Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author Phil Moser. Well, once again, uh, good morning. I know you all just get back to your seats, but would you stand with me, and let's begin our time in the Word this morning by reading uh, our passage of Scripture for today, which will be in the book of First Timothy. So we'll just uh, follow along with me as I read these words. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord, will you be seated? And let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, this is your word, and so as we consider what it is teaching us to do, let us follow it. Let us examine our hearts and be mindful of the fact that we have not arrived spiritually to maturity, but Lord, we are in the process of maturing. So at whatever age, whatever uh, whatever walk of life we may find ourselves in this morning, I pray that we would consider your word to be authoritative, and Lord, that we would learn and grow from it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well... Uh, One note as we begin, if you are following along in our teaching guide, we switched weeks here, uh, and so you can advance an extra week in your teaching guide and take notes there. Uh, But I wanna begin this morning by sharing with you some statistics, because we all love to manipulate numbers to mean whatever we want them to mean, right? Um, But some statistics about age, and so here are some, some things about age that I was thinking about this week. So, when it comes to professional sports, and I put some of the big three up here, The NFL, uh, this is sort of average ages of players and, and youngest players. So the NFL, the average age of a player is 26 years, five months, across the league. And the youngest player you see there is Nick Cross who's a safety for Indianapolis. He's only 20 years old, pretty young. All right. Uh, in the middle here, we have uh, we have Wander Franco, who's 21 and plays shortstop for the Rays. He is, uh, and, and the league average for um, for Major League Baseball is 27.2 years, so a little older, but not not a lot. And then in the NHL, uh, we have our youngest player represented here, who is uh, Cole Sillinger, who's 18 and plays for Columbus. Um, And so uh, the average age for the NHL is just about 27. And so uh, just kind of interesting that we think about ages and how young. And now that I'm uh, over 30, uh, I look at these players and I think, man, they are so young. But let's move on because it's a little painful to talk about baseball right now. Okay, when the Beatles made their first appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show, Paul was 21, Ringo and John were 23, and George was only 20. Uh, So they were quite young as they're exploding onto the scene here. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, when he started Facebook at Harvard in 2004, was only 19 when he started that platform, and the goal was for students to match names with photos of classmates. Uh, This is before he became kind of Lord Voldemorty, but anyway... Not to be outdone, you've got Alexander the Great who was conquering countries at 18. Uh, so, uh, you know, lots of different types of accomplishments, but uh, Alexander the Great assumed the throne at the age of 20. Now, some statistics that apply to the culture in which we find ourselves here. So, the average age, according to Zipia, of an employed chief executive officer in America is 52 years old, okay? a Little older than our professional athletes, a little older than some of these superstars, right? Um, 90% of all CEOs in the United States are over the age of 40, 10% are between 30 and 40, and 0% are the ages of 20 to 30. Interesting statistics, uh, which again, can mean whatever you want them to mean, but help us think a little bit about our point today. Um, I want to show you one more picture here. This is the average age of vocational pastors in the United States, okay? Now, according to uh, LifeWay Research, Not only are congregations growing older, that is among mainline Protestants, 42% of churches are at least half 65 years and older, Uh, so are their leaders. The average clergy member as of 2021 when this survey was conducted is 57 years old. 57 years old, compared to 50 back in the year 2000. Uh, So aging older, now I did a little bit of math, which wasn't hard, thank goodness, because there's only three pastors on staff here, but the average age of FBC pastors is 47. Um, And so I'll let you think about which is pulling it up and which is pulling it down. But uh, we're somewhere in the curve there, but it's interesting when you think about these numbers and what they represent for how we value and what we value youth and age for respectively, right? Um, thinking about pastors in particular, you know, maybe those numbers are a sign of the longevity of pastors and ministry. Um, Maybe it's a sign of sort of the bottom dropping out in that we have young charismatic pastors who have these meteoric rise and fall type scenarios where they have so much gift and so much potential and they start out and everybody's like, wow, it's amazing, follow their podcast. And then they have some type of sin issue that goes public and they disappear from the scene or something like that. And culturally, you know, we love young pastors for their fresh teaching abilities, perhaps, but then we end up putting them in a position where they have a platform and pride can take over, and that can be problematic. But maybe this is a sign of churches that fail to transition leadership, right? Like failure to disciple new leadership or trust new leadership or prepare aging pastors for the next phase of ministry and or caring for them financially. Whatever the case is, right, there is a trend in pastoral ministry um, that sees us getting older as, as a church. But culturally, this is what I'm thinking about. One, we value youth for their energy and skill and innovation but not so much for leadership, not so much for wisdom, because those things are kind of cultivated, right? They, you remember that commercial, right? I need the job for the experience, but I need the experience for the job, and it goes in a cycle, right? And that's sort of the, the problem that we maybe find some of our young leaders in, but I, we're sometimes pleasantly surprised when we find leadership like skills and abilities and, and uh, things in young people, and we label that maturity, right? Like that's, wow, it's amazing. Think how mature this young person is, right? But we are often dis- inclined to dismiss young people because they lack the experience. And then, frankly, culturally, we don't always do a great job training and equipping young people. We spotlight them and then give them no accountability structure and then well, they, they fell, big surprise, right? Um, and so culturally, that's kind of what we do with our athletes, that's kind of what we do with our pastors, and, and today, we're gonna think about Timothy's example, who um, is a young guy in ministry, and I want us to think about youth as its potential for both good and for evil, good and for evil. As a matter of fact, uh, King Solomon, when he's writing the Proverbs, says that the whole point of what he's writing is to give instruction. He says, to, the purpose is to know wisdom Verse 2: An instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity, and then to give prudence to the simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth, but also let the wise hear and increase in learning. And so, you know, Solomon envisions in the whole book of Proverbs this young person, this simple, not in an insulting kind of way, but someone who is young and, and uninformed and needs instruction as standing at a crossroads. And over here, you hear the voice of wisdom saying, Come this way, come this way, right? Listen to me and find life. And over here you have the voice of folly saying, no, 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 come this way, right? There's pleasure over here. There's everything you ever want is over here. And the simple person is, uh, the young person is poised to go in one direction or the other. And there is equal potential by the draw of wisdom, the draw of folly to go in either one of these places, right? Equal potential to receive good wisdom and excel or to ignore that counsel and fall. Um, one of the great examples of that is, you may remember in the Old Testament, you have Solomon's own son, Rehoboam, right? He comes to the throne and he does a wise thing in that he seeks advice on what he should do with the people. But you have two different types of advice. You have the elderly saying, you know, take, you know, lift the burden of taxation and then the forced labor from the people and all that kind of stuff. And then you have the young people saying, no, 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 you need to assert yourself and tell them, you know, if, if you thought Solomon was bad, just wait till I I get in charge, right? And he listens to the young advice that is given to him, and the country divides, right? There's, there's civil war that happens after that. Contrast Timothy's example, which we're going to look at this morning, but... I wanna be clear that the goal of our conversation here is not to suggest that we simply need more young people in leadership, um, but rather, rather, that we should train, empower, and entrust the right people for and with the work of ministry, that is, those who are maturing and those who are helping others to mature, and that age or experience are not necessarily the things that should make or break people that we put in those positions, because there will always be learning, there will always be experience, but it requires us to think about how, are the, how is this person maturing, and are they also helping other people to mature, and are they willing to work uh, w- with us as a team? Now, I, there's a couple of thoughts here, and, and we'll dive into Timothy's charge in just a second, but, you know, God uses young people for a lot of reasons, but I think it's not primarily for their energy, but I think it's for their potential, He uses young people not primarily for their freshness, but for longevity, okay? He uses young people not primarily for the present, but for the future, not primarily for charisma, but for their availability, not primarily for their vision, but for their submission to his vision, right? That's how God, I think that's how God wants us to think about him using young people. So I know we think about this room, okay, and, and the age demographics. I won't ask you to stand and represent your age demographic or anything like that. But to those of you in the room who would say, you know, I, I no longer consider myself youthful, okay, no longer consider myself youthful, I understand your, your days of youth may or may not be something that you look back on with pride, Your days of youth may or may not be something that you look back on with pride, and those are the glory days, and I wish I could go back there or something like that, but I want us to remember that God, at whatever phase of life we are today, can redeem our past. He can redeem our past and he can use even the mistakes that we have made and our failures to move us forward because we're continuing in the path of maturity even if we would no longer consider ourselves youthful. And though you may not be as young as you used to be, your influence on young people today is a critical component of your continued growth and maturity. I think it's important that we consider how you mentor young people and how that might extend even beyond your care for your own biological children perhaps and into this church family or this community or this place that God has put you? How are you investing in them? Now, to those of you who are young in the room, all right, whether or not you will be in vocational ministry one day, the charge that Paul gives to Timothy is one that all young believers should embrace on principle. Each of us is tasked with being a spiritual influence upon his or her peers. Wherever you find yourself today, young people in the room, all right, Every single one of us is called to be a leader among our peers, as a believer, right? Influencing them to mature in their faith. So if you young people today are a follower of Jesus, how might the transforming faith you have received shape your witness to your peers? And critically, critically, what can you learn from the older generation? Are you being teachable? Are you being teachable? So let's think a little bit about Timothy's charge this morning. I wanna begin by just sharing a couple of things that we know about Timothy, aside from the fact that he was young. So here is Paul's first introduction to Timothy in the book of Acts. It says that Paul, this is sort of at the outset of his second missionary journey, right after he and Barnabas have had their split over bringing John Mark along with them. Um, and so it says that Paul, kind of coming with Barnabas now, uh, excuse me, um, with Silas now, is coming to Derby into Lystra, and there was a disciple there named Timothy, who was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer but his father was a Greek. He, that is Timothy, was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. All right, so Paul encounters Timothy, and Timothy already has a reputation it's a good one, right? This is a mature, growing, you know, he's a, this is a good young man, and Paul wants to bring him along on this journey. And this tells us a couple of things about Timothy right off the bat. One, you know, he has this excellent reputation even before Paul began to pour into his life, Right? And clearly, he cares far more deeply for ministry and, and you know, what that represents than his own personal preferences because he's willing to undergo this pretty uh, terrible-sounding procedure um, that's going to happen there purely to show the Jewish believers that he's going to be interacting with that he, as Paul would say in in one of his epistles, he he can become all things to all men, right? It doesn't matter his personal preferences. He wants to obliterate and remove cultural things that would be an obstacle to him communicating and discipling the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's just some things we know about Timothy. Paul commends him repeatedly for his loyalty in all of his letters. Paul describes him as a fellow worker, a brother, a fellow bondservant of Christ, beloved and faithful child in the Lord, a spiritual son, a co-equal in the Lord's work. Um, If Hebrews 13, 23 is referring to the same Timothy, then he was likely imprisoned for his faith later in life. Um, We know from the book of 2 Timothy, the second letter that uh, Paul writes him, that he struggled with fear and needed frequent encouragement to be bold and courageous. By the way, not unlike um, Moses' successor, Joshua, right, to whom uh, God says repeatedly, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, right? Don't be terrified, trust in me, I am your strength. And Timothy needed that encouragement too. And as we see here illustrated, he's kind of on the margins. He's stuck between two worlds, isn't he? He has a Jewish mother, but a Greek father. And so, uh, you know, he's an outcast probably to many Jewish believers because of his parentage and maybe a Gentile upbringing, as the text would suggest, right? But he was likely also considered too much of a traditionalist by many Gentile believers. And so he's kind of stuck there in the middle and has to figure out how he's going to minister to both sides of the equation here. But what's interesting to me as we kind of look at his whole life and what we can piece together from these different letters is that he was probably almost reluctant. Um, you know, he's willing to serve and comes along with Paul, but reluctant to be Paul's successor. Um, and his weaknesses are as apparent as his virtues. And, you know, that, that is interesting because as Paul tells Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 3, that an overseer who desires the task, right, is, is you know, he's got to be evaluated and considered and all these things, but there's a desire to lead. And Timothy almost doesn't have that. And um, a couple years ago now, I was doing some uh, church history classes, working on my my seminary degree, which is on pause indefinitely, but um, I was <laughs> I was struck repeatedly by how many um, bishops and pastors in early church history, post uh, the apost- time of the apostles, were reluctant to serve and to lead the people. Uh, and uh, one one of these examples actually is um, Gregory of Nazianzus, says that this was uh, this is a church history book says. Um, this this Gregory of Nazianzus was ordained a presbyter, although he did not wish it, and he actually ran away. He fled to Basil's monastic community. That's one of the Cappadocian fathers, if you're familiar with church history. But he ran away to this community where he stayed for some time, but eventually returned to his pastoral duties in Nazianzus. At that point, he delivered a famous sermon on the duties of a pastor, and he began, I've been overcome, and I confess my defeat, and declared that his reluctance to serve as a pastor was due in part, to his interest in the contemplative life, and in part to his fear that he would be unequal to the task for, quote, it is difficult to practice obedience, but it's even more difficult to practice leadership. And that's kind of Timothy, right? And, and so Timothy, First and Second Timothy suggests that Timothy may be somewhat timid and reluctant to continue in his role as a minister of Christ. And this reluctance concerns Paul enough to write him and encourage him to continue and fulfill his ministry. As Paul is soon to be martyred for the gospel, he hopes that Timothy will stay the course and fight the fight of faith. This is in his second letter to Timothy. But this is the part that's critical to me. Timothy serves as a reminder that even shy people may become strong and effective witnesses for Christ. And almost in the reluctance to take leadership or or to kind of assume that responsibility is a humility. And it got me thinking because I like sci-fi and I like satire of of Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, where in the restaurant at the end of the universe, he makes this just astute observation. Um, He says, the major problem, or one one of the major problems, for there are several, one of the many major problems with governing people is that of whom you get to do it, or rather of who manages to get people to let them do it to them. To summarize, it is a well-known fact that those people who must want to rule people are ipso facto, those least suited to do it. To summarize the summary, anyone who is capable of getting themselves made president should on no account be allowed to do the job. So there's a dose of humility and introspection that is necessary for, for good leadership. Now, let's, uh, let's dive into Timothy's charge here, shall we? So Timothy has three pieces here that, that Paul is instructing him as a young man to overcome potential um, rejection of him in that role, to overcome his own immaturity, his own insecurities, and do these three things, and here they are. Number one, teach gospel truth. Teach gospel truth. Look back at, at this passage here if you have the, the copy, your copy of the scriptures open in front of you. First Timothy four, uh, verse six, which is what we read just a few minutes ago. Paul says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with your reverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, train yourself for godliness. What are these things that you're gonna put before the brothers? Well, it's all these things that, that Paul has been delivering throughout this letter that he is communicating as well as the words of faith, that is, and the good doctrine, that is the testimony of the apostles and the good news of Jesus Christ, obviously predating uh, in this letter, even the gospel accounts being written down in a written form, but being communicated and, and told in accurate ways by the eyewitnesses of Jesus' death and resurrection. Timothy is steeped in that, and he is to keep these things in front of the believers. And so this tells me a couple of things about Timothy and his role and about us as we think about youthful people in leadership. Um, One is youthful voices that charge God's people to hold fast to the truth and to reject errant doctrine have great power. When a youthful voice stands up and says, this is the word of God, here's what it says and we should do it and we should not be doing these things that the world says we should be doing or this is an errant way to interpret the scriptures. When a young person stands up and has the maturity to decipher the word of God and and communicate it clearly, there is great power in that. There's great power in that. Did you know Martin Luther was only 34 when he penned the 95 theses? I mean, that's not maybe young, young, but it's not old, right? And the incredible attention to God's word and the things that he had mined out of the book of Romans in particular led him to say what the church is teaching is wrong this is the truth, and this is what we should stand for as, as believers. And that was, that was what he did. And so Paul commands Timothy, put these things before and instruct the brothers and sisters. And Timothy, as a youthful person, he's, he's actually told to command these things, right? Verse 11 said, command and teach these things. And the word there, according to vines, command in the Greek is a word that's used strictly to communicate instructions that have been given from a superior and are going to be transmitted to someone who's an inferior. That is, in the chain of command, of authority. So Timothy, as a pastor who is an authority figure but ordained by a higher authority, is commanded. You now communicate these instructions to the people and and tell them to do it, tell them to do it. But I love that it says command and teach because it's not just tell them to do it in the imperative, all right? It's also show them how to do it, instruct them, walk with them, illustrate these things, make it clear to them how to do it. And that's Timothy's role, both command and teach. And again, young people in the room, all right, you don't have to be a vocational a vocational pastor or somebody in full-time ministry to teach the word of God to your peers. You don't. Right? By communicating truth from God's word to your friends, to even your brothers and sisters, to other people in your community, you have a voice that can communicate the gospel truth and make a difference in these individuals' lives. So that's one thing I see, youthful voices that charge God's people to hold fast to the truth proactively right? and reactively to reject errant doctrine and have great power. But also this. The effectiveness of youthful leaders increases exponentially when they themselves are nourished by the word, right? The effectiveness of youthful leaders increases exponentially when they themselves are nourished by the word. Anybody can get up and say, this is the truth, because I've studied it, right? And I, you know, but, but maintain a distance between the word and their own life just kind of make comments about it, right? But to be nourished by the word, all right? And, and that person, by the way, can have an impact on other people because he's proclaiming truth, but that influence and, and that ability to really um, influence change, impact change, it increases exponentially when, when I myself am being uh, ministered to by the word, right, and, and, and nourished. That's the word for, um, for trained um, in, uh, oh, I lost my verse here. Um, for uh, training um, in verse eight and also, um, oh man, I lost my verse, I'm so sorry. For the brothers. Being trained, there it is, verse six. Being trained in the words of faith. That, it's actually a Greek word for nourishing. It's not, it's not just like knowing how to, it's, it's for nourishing. Um, question, would you want to buy a car from a car dealer who is not driving his brand? Like, You're like, okay, I'm ready to go invest in my Lexus. All right, I'm ready to drop all that money on there, okay? And you roll up to the Lexus dealer in your old Toyota, all right, and you get to talk to the dealer and you notice that the car sitting outside of his office is a Ford, all right? Um, you know, and, and like, to, to think about like, okay, well, maybe he just had that car for a long time, but like, you're gonna, he's gonna turn down the perks, he's gonna turn down like the free car to drive around and all that kind of stuff, right? Like, like do, you, do you really want to buy the cars off of his lot if he's not driving them, right? It communicates something about how invested he is in his product, right? It communicates something about whether he really trusts it, you know? And I think that's kind of a similar way to think about this, right? If a pastor or a leader is telling you things about the Bible but does not himself live by them, is not himself nourished by the things that, by time in the word, by by growing and understanding not just intellectually but emotionally and spiritually, that says something about the effectiveness or how effective that person can really be and maybe even about their own spiritual integrity. but to be trained is a present participle, passive. It's at receiving something. It's, it's being skillful at communicating and understanding something because I'm steeped in it. That's my life, and so it just kind of comes out. Many youthful leaders depend more on their own ideas and charisma than they do on the, holy, the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word. It's more about my big ideas and my reinvention of these things and, and what I want to put forward than it is about I need to be an effective minister of the word of God because it is nourishing my soul. Fearlessness, audacity, strong opinions, like all those things are kind of more of a liability than an asset when instead, whether we're young or old, we should instead value humility and teamwork and teachability and all those kind of things to lead effectively. Um, We really don't have anything truly valuable to say, I would argue, if we ourselves are not learning from and being shaped by the word. Here's the second part of Timothy's charge. Teach gospel truth, but also model gospel truth. Model gospel truth. And he's gonna do this by his personal spiritual integrity. Here's our famous verse, our central verse perhaps, verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and in purity model gospel truth that is how the word of christ transforms your life right it has changed me so i don't look like what i used to look like i don't look like the rest of the world i look like what jesus wants me to look like i'm looking more and more like him good exercise of wise godly leadership traits doesn't manifest only with age and experience Young people have the ability to do this as well. I was thinking of the example of Elihu in the Book of Job. So, um, at the end of uh, long chapters, uh, what thirty-two chapters of Job hearing some perhaps somewhat wise advice, but misinformed advice from his elder older friends, right? Elihu, the youngest of them, speaks up and he says this: "I am young in years." and you are aged, therefore I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. I said, let days speak and many years teach wisdom, but it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty that makes him understand. It is not the old who are wise, nor the aged who understand what is right, therefore I say, listen to me, let me also declare my opinion." And that could sound proud, but I think Elihu's spirit is a little bit Roused at at the inaccuracy of what has been communicated thus far. And he expected that the, the aged, the elderly, the wise who were speaking into Job's life would have communicated truth in some way that would have been effective. And now he says, I, I, I have to share. The Spirit of God within me is is compelling me to share these things with you. And you know, again, the exercise of wisdom and the exercise of godly character, right? Patience and, and kind of sh- showing deference to those who are his superiors. That's not just something that you learn with age. It's something that you are, as a young believer, a young follower of Christ, are able and capable of doing. Youth can be a powerful witness in leadership here. I'll give you a couple of thoughts here. Youth may maintain a powerful witness here by defying youthful tendencies and exhibiting morally upstanding character. Again, it says in verse 12, don't let anyone despise you for your youth, but set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And Timothy, um, as a young person, is defying the norms in that, right? Defying what um, other people uh, th- his age may or may not have been, uh, have been expressing. Youthful tendencies, defying youthful tendencies and exhibiting moral, uh, morally upstanding character, right? Um, for a young leader, impatience, disrespect, and impropriety have no place, right? Even if, even if they're discounted for being young. And I think that could have been Timothy's temptation, right? It would have been my temptation if I were in his shoes trying to lead a church and people were saying, you know, we want to we get Paul's opinion on this all the time, right? Instead of trusting him, right? And and instead of being um, angry with that or or rejecting that in a way that would have been sinful, he's told, set them an example, set them an example, even if they're despising you for being young. Modeling good speech, our conduct, our faith, our love, and our purity is what James one twenty seven calls remaining unstained by the world religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, visit orphans and widows in their affliction that is due ministry to the least of these and also keep yourself unstained by the world. You don't look and act and speak like the world does because you have a different value system and you are uh, you're following in the footsteps of your savior Jesus Christ. And in 1 Timothy, later on in, in this letter, uh, chapter five, Um, Paul tells him, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Your conduct should be different than your peers. He's told elsewhere in chapter three that he's got to commission God's people appropriately, right? He's got to set an example in how he lays on hands to to commission elders and, and deacons and things of that nature. But he also is told to encourage God's people appropriately. Look at this in the beginning of chapter five. He says, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Timothy's conduct in the way that he handles um, conflict and and addressing people in, in perhaps sin, right, and perhaps their struggles is still to be respectful and considerate and compassionate, not in their faces, not rude and just, Communicating truth for the sake of communicating truth, right? But done with grace, done with grace, right? So Timothy must encourage God's people appropriately. And that's all part of defying maybe how young people might tend to erupt or tend to be less self controlled, right? But to do these things with maturity, to demonstrate an example in conduct, in speech, faith, love, and purity, okay? Um, So defying youthful tendencies. Also, youth may maintain a powerful witness by fleeing things that peers might pursue. Fleeing things that peers might pursue. Elsewhere in the letter here, Paul says, as for you, O man of God, flee these things, right? Sinful things that were in the list uh, just previously, but pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then earlier in this book as well, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels, right? Flee the things that other people your age may pursue, right? Flee those things that other people your age may pursue. That sets an example. When you see a young person who is going against the current, that communicates a lot, doesn't it? Communicates a lot. And again, we call that maturity. We say that person is demonstrating maturity. They're not just going with the flow of what their friends at school are doing, right? But they're taking a stand. They're pursuing something else instead. Lastly, and, and closely connected to this, maintaining different priorities than their peers. Maintaining different priorities than their peers. Look back at our text for this morning, chapter four, verse eight. Uh, well, starting in verse seven. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness... Verse eight, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Maintain some different priorities than your peers. Warren Wiersbe kind of broke these verses down and said you've got bad priorities or bad philosophies, you've got temporary philosophies or bad philosophies, and you have eternal priorities or eternal philosophies, all right? And what Timothy is encouraged in is that your goal is, your pursuit is the eternal, not the bad, right? Not the old wives' tales, because that's literally what the, the the Greek is saying. They're the old wives' tales about philosophies and, and um, silly myths and things, right? Um, not just in bodily training, though bodily training is a good model for how we practice spiritual discipline, right? That's a temporary value, but you're pursuit is the eternal value. Your pursuit is the eternal value. And in order to be pursuing those things, it requires Timothy to be faithfully teaching the word, being totally committed to his calling, even if he would be scorned by his peers, perhaps for the things that he was saying and doing, right? Verse 13 said, "Um, until I come... That is to, to, to come by the church there to visit him. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Don't neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy's eternal values are gonna come out in the way he faithfully teaches the word, in the way he upholds his calling, in the way that he proclaims scriptural truth even uh, to people who may say, that's foolish, I want nothing to do with that, right? We, we, we want nothing to do with that. And he's to maintain that witness. Um, it's important that in order for him to maintain these different priorities, that he be fully dependent on the Lord. Um, and young people in the room, as you think about your witness to your friends and to the people that you maybe work beside or that you go to the gym with or that you just you know, are in your circles by, by God's appointment, right? In order for us to be an effective witness to them it's not just about us knowing the right Bible verses, it's about us being fully dependent on the power of Jesus Christ to be a voice in those people's lives. Depending on the Lord rather than exercising self-reliance or just our own understanding is, marked, is a marked difference from other youthful tendencies, right? Um, it's easy when we're young to just kind of like, oh, I, I got this, I figured this out, you know? Um, but to rather say, I don't got this, I got you know, which is what my daughter says all the time. <laughs> my daughter Nora is like, got it, got it, got it, got it. And she wants to do everything herself. She's two. Um, but like, you know, I don't got it, right? I got to actually lay my life down and say, you know, Jesus, this is an opportunity you've placed here for me to speak truth. I want to be faithful in that, right? I can't do it on my own. I need you. I need you to open those doors and, to, and help me even speak. Many young leaders are, are self-starters. And while practically effective, this trait can actually undermine confidence in the fact that this is the Lord's work, right? We don't wanna be self-starters, though it's good to have, have vision and, 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 you know, uh, and to be eager to go and do stuff, right? But we need to remember that we work because the Lord opens those doors, gives us those opportunities, and even accomplishes the work. We're just uh, His hands and feet. And I think it's important that earlier in this letter, Timothy is actually charged to pray for God's people Um, as a minister, uh, pray for God's people, and also inspire prayerfulness in them because prayer is that trust, right? It is that dependence on the Lord that he's the one who's gonna work and not just me. Let's look at our last thing here. Teach gospel truth, model gospel truth, and grow in gospel truth. Grow in gospel truth. And he's gonna do this by persevering. Look at the last couple of verses here in chapter four. Verse 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Persist in these things, that all may may see your progress. Immerse yourselves in them. Timothy's gonna grow in gospel truth by by persevering in these disciplines, right? By being invested in the work that God has given him to do. And maybe the mentality, thinking of, of young people in potential leadership or, you know, as you make the team or as, you know, you, you get that job or whatever, that promotion, maybe the mentality that we need to start working on is not, oh, yeah, I did it, I've arrived, you know, but rather... Man, I have so much to learn. The work begins now, right? And that's got to be Timothy's mentality as he thinks about that. Now, again, we talked earlier about, you know, what youth is valued for, skill and innovation and energy in in our culture, right? And, you know, our ability as young people to adapt and to be tenacious and to go after things is is an asset, right? And that makes a powerful combination. And I think, you know, when Timothy is told, practice it, immerse yourself in it, right? Persist in it, that's, he needs to have the same kind of devotion that he would have have for things in his personal personal life as for his spiritual growth right as for his growth in ministry as for his ability to labor well for the lord right that's a lot of discipline right persist in that keep watch don't neglect right that's important because it's only by persisting and progressing in that that he's going to be effective by growing in his understanding as well as in his practice young people must grow and change we must not remain convinced of ourselves right? We must grow and change. We must not re- be, just remain convinced of ourselves. But we must never abandon the truth. We're never moving beyond the fact that the word of God is sufficient for all these things. We're never, I've got new ideas that I want to share, and you'll, if the word of God fits into that, that's great, right? Rather, we must press forward with the gospel, with the gospel. Again, vision and charisma attracts followers, it can give you a platform, right? But maturing young leaders should attract the right kind of attention to progress, right? I love that he says, um, all may see your progress and you might think, oh, that's great. Actually, I can get patted on the back and like, oh yeah, they can see how far I've come and that's great and like, but it's not about Timothy, it's about what he's exampling. It's about drawing attention to the right things to be able to see, man, um, the Lord has worked in Timothy's life That's impacted our church, that's impacted me. I'm growing as a result of that, right? So that's what is being drawn attention to, his maturing in the faith, attracting the right kind of attention To progress. Again, this requires practice. And by way of reminder, the the idea of sanctification that we teach uh, from from a doctrinal standpoint is, you know, once and for all we are saved and sanctified, we are set apart, right? That is, God says, this one's mine, and I place my Holy Spirit, and that's once and for all, right? But the process of growth is progressive, so that sanctification is an ongoing thing. It's not something that, you know, I was made, you know, to be Jesus' follower, and now I'm done growing, that's great, I can just, you know, kind of live life. And, and not do the bad things, right? No, like Jesus is it, by the power of His Holy Spirit going to keep shaping us and growing us. So we have to practice in these things. Those of you who are parents in the room, right? You know that just telling your child to do something one time that that works every time, right? You know, go go get your shoes on, or go get ready to go, or you know, uh, don't don't say that, don't do that. You know, like just telling them once works every time, right? That's that's how it works, you know. Like, I don't know, why don't they get it? Like, come on, I just said it, you should get it, right? That's not how it works, right? And it's not how it works spiritually either, right? Our, our attention to the word and our listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit is a practice, an ongoing thing where God says, do this. And we're like, I don't really want to, but all right, I will follow eventually, right? And, and through that, God works to grow us and, and we, we, have to be, um, we have to be persistent in that practice, right? Um, and consistent discipline leads to change over time. Um, Again, the the analogy of bodily training is a great analogy for this, right? That in order to see the results, in order to become healthy, in order to grow, right? Like physically speaking, we have to be committed to the process and do the hard work of discipline to be able to grow, and that's how our spiritual lives work as well. Um, That, by the way, is is the power of the Holy Spirit and not our own, it's not our own strength in that, right? Like the Bible is not a self-help book, right? It's us actually learning to grow Um, in our confidence in what the Spirit is doing and and, and obeying His voice in that. So it requires practice. It requires clear and honest self-evaluation, right? Keep a close watch on yourself, Paul said, and on the teaching. Like, evaluate your heart constantly. And I just need to be reminded this morning, maybe you need the reminder this morning too, that given the right context, I'm a sinner capable of any manner of sin. Right? Given the right context... I'm a sinner capable of any manner of wickedness, and so are you, but we're new creations capable of any manner of righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? We're new creations capable of any manner of righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? That's the life that we've been given, the freedom to righteousness, Right, Remember what we're capable of and the negative side so we keep watch on our hearts. But we also need to measure that and say, am I actually growing in this? I'm capable of doing the things that God has asked me to do because of the power of the Holy Spirit within me. So in order to grow and progress, it's gonna require us to clearly and honestly evaluate ourselves. And then lastly, it's gonna require us Uh, to care and have selective regard for teaching, all right? It's going to require us to care about teaching and have selective regard for it. In other words, the popular theology and teachings that we consume and that we communicate matter, right? The popular uh, theology that we consume and communicate matter. In other words, we need to be careful that we are not communicating falsehood in the way that we you know spout out christian phrases or misuse the passages of scripture or you know just oh i heard this on this podcast and that was really cool and i thought that was great so i keep i perpetuate it right and we want to be careful about those things because our regard for teaching is important a lot of the the letter that paul has given to timothy here is reminding him this is gospel truth this is falsehood discern the difference between the two and only teach the one all right, and we have that responsibility as well. We can afford, I would say we can afford to be a little bit theologically picky, okay? A little bit theologically picky, provided we are gonna be kind and compassionate to others who may hold different views, but we should be like, this is what the word of God says. And no, I don't, I don't think that's quite accurate. Like, we can nitpick those things, provided we do it with a respectful and compassionate, you know, uh, uh, communication, um, but we stand for what the scripture teaches to be true. That's our responsibility, okay? Um, this long-term, I, this last verse, just wanna point out, this long-term example of faithfulness and progress may effectively save hearers from stumbling. Look, he says, persist in this at the end of verse 16, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's not uh, Paul saying, you know, by your ministry, you're actually going to do the work of salvation yourself, like, or, or by, you know, obedience, people are gonna save themselves from sin. Rather, he's saying, if you do these things faithfully, you can prevent a whole lot stumbling and consequences, right? You can prevent your people that you are investing in from falling into sin, protect them from that, right? And that faithful example uh, that Timothy can set, right, by persevering and growing in gospel truth can make that difference. So let's conclude here. And maybe as we wrap up our time here, thinking about what it means to teach gospel truth, model gospel truth, and grow in it, um, let me just invite you to, wherever you are, bow your heads and your hearts with me. And just kind of think about some of these questions with me for a second as uh, our worship team is going to come and we're going to close with uh, with a couple of songs here. Um, Paul's charge to Timothy um, is applicable to the young and the elderly alike. Um, Talking about the, the importance of having people in leadership who are maturing and causing others to mature as well no matter what their age or experience is like. But the questions I want us to think about this morning as we close are this. Will faithfulness and integrity be the hallmarks of our lives? Will faithfulness and integrity be the hallmarks of our lives? In other words, am I willing to do whatever it is that God asks me to do, no matter what other people may think? Am I willing to pursue His agenda, not my personal goals and objectives? Am I willing to partner with others and pressing forward, not flying solo and glory seeking? Whatever our position in life, whatever our age, whatever our experience, will faithfulness and integrity be the hallmarks of our lives? Will I be known for enduring selflessness or persistent selfishness? Is that gonna be my legacy? And will we prepare young people in our lives to follow in our footsteps? And will that legacy that we invite them into be worthy of replication? Let's pray. Father, you call us to be faithful. You call us, wherever we may come from, with whatever past we may carry, Lord, to surrender our lives to be useful instruments in your hands. Lord, thank you that you love us and you choose to use broken vessels for your holy purposes. Lord, I pray that as we think about what our lives, going forward from this very moment right now to the future, however too much time we have on this earth, that we would be found faithful with it. But Lord, remind us that we do this not in our own strength but in the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to teach gospel truth to those who are in our lives. Lord, help us to model gospel truth and how it is a better way of life than anything else this world can offer. Lord, help us grow in that process so that we can demonstrate, um, Lord, not for our own recognition but for yours, the power of of your your work transforming our lives. Lord, we thank you that um, you give us work to do. Help us be faithful in it. And Lord, may all glory go to the name of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.